Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. What's up, bitches? Hey, guys. Welcome back. Welcome back. Carla, like, it's crazy. We've been doing this for almost a couple of months now. We are on episode six. Wow. Really, truly can't believe it. I'm having so much fun. So thank you, Michael. And thank you, everyone. Thank you, Carla. And truly, listeners, we appreciate you so stinking much. We've also, any of you that are also podcasters or interested in them, you learn so much along the way. The things that we have learned about audio editing and about transcribing all all of the shenanigans, it's taken on a new hobby while getting to explore some of our interests. We're so appreciative of you. Thanks for joining us on this journey. We've had the opportunity to hear from some of you, but please... Please feel free to give us all the feedback. Um, We are definitely asking for your feedback. We're asking for their unsolicited feedback. We are asking for your unsolicited feedback. (laughs) For your unsolicited feedback. Also, if you are listening to us on Apple or Spotify, please go and give us a rating and let us know how we're doing. Like, review, do all the things. Check us out on the social medias, on our Facebook page or our Instagram, or you can email us at nosy bees for life that's n-o-s-e-y b-e-e-s the number four l-i-f-e at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you just telling your stories or letting us know what you'd like to hear about next as far as cases go i would love to hear that so if you guys have some ideas on what you would like to hear next please reach out and let us know michael and i have some ideas and kind of things that we've been kicking around. But if there's a case that you're interested or you want to hear our unsolicited feedback about, then let us know. This case, of course, has been a pretty jarring shift from Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. If you didn't catch us last week, please make sure to go back and listen to episode five. That's our first episode of the John Bonet Ramsey case. And just a tragic case, Carla. I mean, so, so heartbreaking. It's kind of easy to look at an Amber Heard and Johnny Depp with a little bit more of a lighthearted nature because everyone's still alive. Right. It's these two hyper-rich, successful people kind of going at each other. But of course, with this, we're just looking at the the tragic breaking up of a family and them losing this precious child, this really vivacious little girl at such a young age. I think it puts it into perspective, too. The thing with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, but really at the end of the day, like, who the fuck cares? Like, it's nothing in comparison to a child who loses their life and a family who, you know, their everything is flipped upside down. So it really does, like, to put things all back into perspective, there's nothing that's lost on us when it comes to what happened in this story. And I hope we're addressing it with the appropriate level of reverence here. Our first episode of John Bonet, we dug into, Carly, you did such a good job outlining the timeline of what happened on Christmas night, like just how awful that is. I can't even, uh, that breaks my heart to even think about. But we, we know the timeline of what happened in the case, what happened with police, both the highlights and some of the lowlights, because there were definitely some misses all around that led to a lot of the questions that we're still grappling with today as far as why the, the case remains unsolved. Today, we'd like to go into the theories behind what investigators think happened to John Bonet, and also get into some of the suspects. People are still talking about it. Just today, I was looking through some of the Reddit threads, and 
people are still obsessed with what happened to John Bonet. And it really is, I think almost everyone you talk to falls into two camps, the family or an intruder. That's right. So what we know is that if this did happen in a neighborhood that was as safe as the Ramses thought it was, that if it really was this gated community, that it's in their minds, they felt so safe in their home. And if you follow that line of thinking, that means that someone that was in the home had to have committed it, which really boils down to Patsy Ramsey, John Ramsey, or John Bonet's older brother, Burke. But if you accept the idea that maybe the neighborhood wasn't as safe, that they had, they being John and Patsy, had left the house unguarded. They had left the alarm off. That we know that there was a broken window to get into a basement area of the home where someone could have infiltrated the rest of the home. If you subscribe to the fact that the neighborhood perhaps wasn't quite as safe as everyone thought it was, then someone could have easily gotten into the home. And then that kind of forks from there. There are so many different theories, even within the intruder larger theory where it could go. Was it someone that was obsessed with John Bonet from her pageant world? Was it someone that she ran into in other aspects of life? Was it just some random person and the Ramses just had some really, really bad luck that night? We're hoping to dive into that a little bit, get some clarification for all of you. What we'll say is the same thing as we said at the beginning of the last episode. We're not legal experts. We're, we're just nosy. We like digging into things. We'll talk about who we think didn't do it, but I think both of us are going to stop short of trying to tell you who we think did do it. I'd love to hear someone who thinks they know who did it. And why. Show me the receipts, bitch. Yeah, because like once you have yourself convinced in either of these camps, I honestly, even though I have strong feelings of who I don't think, I definitely think there's some pieces of evidence that definitely make you scratch your head. So then you kind of flip to the other side of the things, you know, I'll also go back to what you said about like their area and their home being safe. I feel like nothing is safe these days. We hear about all the time where superstars who have security teams, their houses are being broken into and they're being held at gunpoint. I know that was not the reality of the Ramses in 1996, but like nothing and nowhere is safe these days. It's hard. And maybe this is part of the, you know, I definitely know for me, these are part of the cases that etched in my mind that you are not safe. You know, what happened to John Bonet, of course, the stories about how Ted Bundy would capture his victim. Yeah. It is the right thing to do to be scared, be vigilant, and be an asshole. Don't be nice to anybody. <laughs> do you think everyone Carla. is coming for you? Be worried, be suspicious. That's the hard part is that either your loved one, this per- these people who are supposed to like love and care for this child did this or your house wasn't safe. And neither of those are great realities. And it goes into, I think what plays into this a little bit too is the false sense of security created by money. They were very, very yeah. well to do. They lived in this gated community. And I think that you get into this little bubble in your head that everything's going to be fine, that life is just going to open up for you. And because your life has generally been good, you just kind of assume that the world is this happy-go-lucky place. And it's it's not. Like, the world has a lot of darkness in it. It has a lot of light, too, don't get me wrong, but it's got a lot of darkness in it. And lots of people that actually have some strong feelings about a well-to-do family that is perhaps far better off than most of us are and 
have a, a certain grudge or a certain ill feeling toward that family. I, I will say, though, that to your point about maybe just being a product of a different time, you pointed this out in the last episode. Boulder had experienced exactly one murder in an entire year at that point in history. It wasn't just the Ramses. That entire city didn't have any reason to think that a murder, much less one that was this awful, that happened to a, a sweet, innocent little girl that could not even defend herself— why would anyone think that when there's been one murder in the entire year? And that that probably was from a more normal stance, right? An adult hurting another adult. I bet Boulder's wishing they could go back to those days. Dear goodness, don't we all? I think Pensacola wants to go back to those oh, 100%. days. <laughs> all right, so diving in uh, to our first set of suspects, like Carla mentioned earlier, two major buckets that we're looking at here. We're looking at either the family or some sort of external intruder. So the first family member that we'll talk about is Patsy Ramsey. I will say from the beginning of this, before we even talk about it, we're going to share what we found in some online articles. We heavily referenced a Rolling Stone article that we'll link in the show notes. I just am trying to imagine any mother being angry enough with their six-year-old daughter to murder her in cold blood and then to assault the body in such a way that the police suspected a sexual assault. By the way, that had no history of child abuse. None whatsoever. Yeah. After having multiple kids. Yeah. So like there's never been any history of child abuse brought into it. I have little kids like, well, my kids are halfway grown now, but I've had little kids before. Right. I've been very frustrated with them and at times angry with them. And still never do I think that anybody could say that I could ever be angry enough to kill one of them. I don't know. The whole Patsy Ramsey thing that John Bonet could do something that would make her so angry. I just have a hard time believing. I do too. Some of what investigators are saying around this was they do know that John Bonet had multiple bedwetting incidents over the the years, even as a six-year-old, which, by the way, is super common. It really is. People it, don't understand how common that is. And it just feels like a disproportionate response. But nonetheless, that's the investigator's theory here, was that there was some uh, anger, there was some rage over multiple bedwetting incidents, and... She got out of hand one time, went after her daughter. They they still do think with this that it might have been an accidental killing. Like if it's Patsy Ramsey, they're not sure that it was necessarily on purpose and that everything that was done after the initial killing was really about trying to cover it up and trying to make it look more like an accident or that someone else perpetrated it. Some of the reasoning behind this was that the note was written on Patsy's stationery and with a pen that was from inside the house, which... I, I will admit, is a little sus. Right. Right? But it, even in that case, if it is an intruder and they didn't bring something with them, and especially if they were lying in wait, maybe that doesn't seem a suspect, but I get where they're coming from. Absolutely. With especially, Carla, when we consider that her handwriting analysis was inconclusive. Burke's came back as a hardcore negative. John's came back as a hardcore negative. But Patsy's came back ultimately as inconclusive. Also... We hit on this a little bit before, but I think it's worth mentioning again that there was some public hate and some investigatory hate like from the police around this whole pageant world. Mm -hmm. There was just this idea that what is this mother doing sexualizing this little girl, putting them 
putting her in all these little costumes, putting her on stage in front of other adults where she could be fodder for all of these other men or women that might find that thing, that kind of thing appealing, and, and really throwing her a lot of hate in this way. What I'll say to that is I do wonder, and you tell me as a parent, Carla, some of that feels like latent anger, right? Like you're, it's misplaced. It's this idea that you don't personally like pageants and we think that idea is kind of gross. So we're mad at you for even putting your daughter in pageants, Patsy. We may not even think you're a murderer, but we're just going to be mad at you for that because it's an easy thing to get mad at if you don't like the pageant world. Also, I just want to point out like John Benet Ramsey had two parents. Both of them were involved in the pageants. Slow um, clap. Yeah. Yes. So like clearly Patsy was the one who was a pageant star before. Patsy had a very successful run as a pageant queen. And so to her, she didn't think anything wrong about it. Like she felt like this was a very natural thing. It is a very like culturally Southern thing to do. It's very debutante. I also have this to say, when you're thinking about a situation with very innocent eyes, you don't think anything is wrong with the fact that she is parading in front of on a stage in a bikini or in this cute little outfit because all you're seeing is your six-year-old little child. You're not seeing a sex symbol because that would never put in your mind. I think for the for some of us who either have like seen cases like this or just like me who's just suspicious as fuck about everybody, I immediately start thinking about Today, a great example, I'm walking through the grocery store, a young teenage girl and her friend, one's in like a half shirt, and I'm literally watching a 57-year-old man. In fact, I thought maybe that was her like father or something like that. I thought she was coming up to him because of the amount that he's staring at her. And then he's literally watching her walk away. And I'm like, you're disgusting. Like, that's a teenage girl. What are you doing with your mouth open? I think like because I'm so suspicious... I would immediately be uncomfortable seeing a six-year-old child displayed like that because I'd be worried about what somebody would think. That isn't the fault of the mother or John Benet Ramsey. That's just the fault of the sick world that we live in. I guess that's where my mind goes to, right? This whole theory that Patsy's somehow guilty because she's involving her daughter in the pageant world completely takes any responsibility out of anyone that would be watching those pageants with any kind of gross intent, right? Absolutely. And those people are responsible for their actions. That creeper that might be watching a six-year-old and over-sexualizing her, that's the person, in my opinion, that has done something wrong. Not the mother who grew up having really positive experiences in pageants and, to your point, is probably looking at it through really innocent eyes. The last thing I'll say about Patsy before we move on to the next one is that it, the amount of rage that would have had to happen here just feels so disproportionate to the crime. If it's this bedwetting incident, if this was something about like Patsy spanked her a little bit too hard or they found marks on her wrist where she had grabbed her too hard, that's the kind of angry response that still isn't okay necessarily when you're dealing with that kind of thing, but I think would be more believable to me. Because of the blunt force trauma that we know happened to John Bonet. This would have required Patsy to literally slam her daughter's head against something hard like a bathtub or a toilet or a wall and break her skull. 
Like, let that sink in a little bit as you consider whether or not Patsy Ramsey did this. I'm just saying it feels really unlikely because it's so disproportionate to what happened here. This is a little girl that innocently wet her bed in this scenario, and all of a sudden you're slamming her head up against a bathtub and then trying to cover it up. It doesn't make sense. Some people are saying that Patsy was super defensive. I guess there was an even an incident on Larry King Live where she had it out with one of the audience members, but I'm sorry, I'm doing the same thing if you're accusing me of murdering my daughter. I'll save all of my opinions until we talk about the family member, but like probably for a majority of them, they're like, listen, like we, we're doing what we can do. We're trying to be cleared and like really to continue to come out at us is a waste of time. Can we get to the point where we actually go and and find her actual murderer. In general, I'm calling bullshit on the Pat Ramsey theory. It is a theory nonetheless, because of course, if you subscribe to this idea that it happened inside the home, that there wasn't an intruder, it has to be one of these family members. So that's what we know about Patsy. That's where it stands all the way up until the day of her death. She was adamant that she had nothing to do with this. And for whatever it's worth, I happen to believe her. The next possible suspect, if you believe it was a family member, is of course John Ramsey. This one to me is slightly more believable than a Patsy Ramsey scenario. There was no sign of any intruder whatsoever coming into that house. John Ramsey is the owner of this home. He is the reason they're able to afford such a nice home. You have a security system. You're not arming it. You have windows that aren't even repaired. Apparently where the possible intruder, if you believe in an intruder, could have gotten into the house was this small window into the basement that John Ramsey had once used when he got home and realized he had locked himself out of the house and broke it and never repaired it. All of these pieces that it I could see someone making a case for was that deliberate. Were you setting this up over time for whatever reason so that when the right moment hit, you could make a good viable argument that someone maybe broke into the house? It's still a little creepy to think about, but I guess I could I could see it. The other big thing that comes into play here is that John Ramsey was the one that found the body. Now, granted, some of that, as we... Uh, have discussed has to do with the police and the police not doing a thorough search when they first arrived at the home and leaving John after they had done this quick sweep of the house, telling him to go search through the rest of the house. What I do think I could understand people finding suspect is why did John search that specific area of the basement, go into that specific small closet? I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's definitely where people start to ask a lot of questions when it comes to John is that it they feel like it was very convenient. That's where he found his daughter. Like this is some type of a cover up. I don't even know why we would even go through the ransom situation in general. Like I probably would just start from, hey, my daughter's been found, you know, murdered or whatever. It seems like a lot of pre-work in order to get to this case. So he would have had to have been really like this truly criminal mastermind to get all the way to where the window's broken, where the security alarms is like those are things that they walked into that night already that were in place. And I just don't I just don't see criminal mastermind. I also feel like John Ramsey after his wife Patsy 
was the person and still is the person who is continuing out there beating the street, looking for some answers, you know, pleading with the police, having investigators still funding to find out who did that. I don't know if that's what you do if you have murdered your six-year-old or your six-year-old died accidentally back in 96. I think there would be a slow fade. So that's why I have a hard time believing that it could ever be John Ramsey. Even some of the things that they point to behaviorally don't necessarily make sense to me. For instance, the police noted at the time that John and Patsy let the 10 a.m. deadline that was outlined in the ransom note slip by and they didn't say a word about it. There's also been a lot made of John's countenance during this whole thing. He was very cool, calm, collected. What I'll say to both of those as the person that would probably flip into crisis control mode in those instances, if you see me in crisis, you are not going to see an emotional person. You are going to see a person that is very flat. I'm going to be in, okay, what do we need to do to get A, B, and then C done so that we can get to the finish line? Now, the second that I get to break away from that, you're going to see a puddle of mush on the floor, and I'm going to let all of those emotions come forward. But I can easily see a situation where if I'm the father of this person, my purpose has automatically switched to, I need to find the son of a bitch that did this. And and so I just find it very believable that he could have... Uh, slipped into problem solving mode. I feel the same way about the missed deadline, the 10 a.m. ransom note deadline. They were in this world of trying to solve it. I I wouldn't even know what fucking time it was at any point in the several months after that that followed. All to say that while I understand why they had to put John in that list of suspects and why I, I understand why some people still to this day think that that could have been a possibility when you really look at it 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 doesn't hold water like it feels very circumstantial to me people are wanting a finger to point the parents are the two most obvious and easiest people to point fingers at so last person in the family is john benet's slightly older brother burke remember john benet was six years old at the time burke was about nine years old and In order to make Burke kind of fit, it goes along with this pineapple scenario. So I guess Patsy, which again, mother of the year, Patsy, this is why I don't think that she did it. Like the same woman that cuts you up of a late night snack before you go to bed of nutritious pineapple is not the person that is going to bash your head against a tub because you wet the bed. But regardless, the theory here is that Patsy had set out a pineapple snack for Burke that John Bonet had stolen one of the pieces of pineapple and that Burke in a rage went after his sister with a heavy flashlight, like one of those mag light kind of things. It seemed to perfectly match the indentation on the back of John Bonet's head and that basically everything that followed was to cover it up, like was basically to try to exonerate Burke, which I, I find interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, and you told me this, Carla, he couldn't have been tried for a crime of murder at his age in Colorado at the time. Right. Why would you try to cover it up? Yeah. I don't know if that's something that they knew, but but afterwards, that's they fair. definitely had to know about it because of the fact that it happened when he was at that age. Those same rules would still apply. 10 years later, now there might be some type of charges that John or Patsy Ramsey might have Received. For like neglect or endangerment yeah. or something like that. There might yeah. have been something, but as far as like murder, 
he wouldn't have been able to be tried um, for that crime at all in the state of Colorado at that time. You you do not have a sense as a child. And I, I, by the way, just like the other two so far, I told you I'd be comfortable telling you who I don't think did it. I don't think Burke did it. Um, and even if he had, while I know that would be complicated, I don't think that a child of nine years old understands concepts like right and wrong. I don't think they understand concepts like murder. I don't think that they even understand what really hurting someone is like, you know? So, like, if it did happen, this isn't some bloodthirsty brother that's going after his sister. This is a, a child being angry at another child, and it just feels like everything that followed would have been really over the top to try to cover that up, in my opinion. Michael, you're the baby of your family, right? I am. I'm the baby. Okay, and I'm the oldest. How many times did your family members, like, how many times did you and your siblings, like, run around and hurt each other? Like, multiple times a week. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I definitely, I can remember, I mean, I've hit my head. Yes. I mean, my brother and I have gone after each other. I think my brother threw a baseball. We used to pay my baby brother to run against the wall as hard as he could. Oh, my and we gosh, would give him like <laughs> We'd give him, like, a dollar or something like that to run against the wall or hit something or to go and kick one of my like, teenage friends and yes. stuff, which, I mean, I'm surprised he didn't get hurt. But all that to say, I don't think that... I, I can get behind a theory where uh, two siblings are playing or maybe he's going after her. Some theories out there where I've heard like he was jealous of her and things like that. Okay, so like, let's get behind it. Let's say that he like actually went to hurt her. But to your point, he doesn't really understand hurt her. I just don't think that this nine-year-old did that. I know later that there's a lot of questions too about some of his interviews. And even as an adult, he ended up doing an interview with Dr. Phil that he can come off awkward. I think you have to understand that from that moment that they woke up and John Bonet was dead, their lives were forever changed. And the only thing that they could do was to now protect this nine-year-old child. And they're being sheltered. The paparazzi's everywhere. The media's everywhere. Everybody is talking about, we talked about how much it was around in our lives. Can you yes. imagine what it was like for this child who has to grow up like this? They move him from Colorado back to Atlanta. Then his mom dies. His sister died. His older sister died a couple yep. of years before. Like, it is a lot of things to go through. And then at some point, somebody comes out and points the finger at you. So I can completely understand why he might be awkward or say things. This is something he's dealt with his whole life. And I think at that age, you don't understand death. Like, was it his little sister? Yes. He's not going to experience the grief that John or Patsy, who are adults, understanding that they lost their child. When you are only three years older than your sibling and you lose your sibling, you understand it, but not you don't understand it the way that you do at like 30 or 40 years old. So to me, I don't know. I, I just, I still can't see it. And I feel like there's a lot of things that can be explained away. All of that, 100%. I think even just some of the logistics of it though, like how does a nine-year-old hit their sister if that's the theory we're going with that hard? Like, I know it's a maglite, I know it's got some weight too, but seriously, how do you hit them that hard? It doesn't even make sense. I'm trying to imagine myself at nine years old. I'm a pretty scrawny dude in my mid-30s. I definitely, as a thin little kid, like, you don't have that kind of strength. All of that to say it feels a little unreasonable. Also, his reaction to some of those interviews, I will admit he is a little bit of an awkward duck. 
He's also a software developer, and Carla, you and I have worked with IT people before as part of our day jobs. Sometimes social skills are not the thing that they are the smartest in. They have strengths and weaknesses just like every other human. Someone being awkward on Cameron during an interview does not a killer make. Right. Sorry. Just, a, just a little small interview like Dr. Phil, too. Like, I, you you know, know, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> it wasn't like he was a guest speaker on our podcast. A, nation, a nationally <laughs> televised thing that you know millions of people are, are going to be watching. One other thing that is of note here uh, that I meant to mention earlier around the Maglite was there is some speculation about these marks that were left on JonBenet. So a popular theory is that there were these little track-like marks that were left on JonBenet that are consistent with the idea of some sort of taser or electrical instrument being used. But they also happen to be really close to the marks that um, an indentation from one of Burke's toys could have made. It was this little toy train. Yep. And the theory behind that is after he inadvertently hurt his sister he might have been trying to poke her with the toy to figure out what was going on because just like we mentioned you don't have concepts of like dead of hurt when you're a child you have to have context of that and at nine year old nine years old you don't have that context yet so just wanted to throw that detail out there this would require burke interacting with john benet with both the maglite and with the tracks to me it still leaves lots of holes around the evidence of sexual assault also, none of the DNA matched Burke. Burke also was exonerated from the handwriting sample for the ransom note. But lots of people that believe in the Burke theory say that's just because the Ramsey parents might have taken part in writing that ransom note on Burke's behalf to try to cover it up. So that wraps up our family suspects here. All of the other members of John's family from his previous marriage were in the Atlanta area at the time. There's no way they could have done it, but they've also taken handwriting samples and done DNA samples, and they were all cleared using that evidence. Our first suspect that I want to talk through as part of the intruder theory is Gary Oliva. I'm not sure if that's Oliva or Oliva, but we're going to go with Oliva for the purpose of this recording. Gary is a 32-year-old sex offender at the time that was living in the Boulder area on and off. He had been a convicted pedophile so we know that he's into children also when they did an initial arrest around the year 2000 gary had a magazine cutout of john benet in his backpack like four yeah. years after the incident he's sketchy so a the creeper yeah the ramses had a long time investigator so like they clearly did not have faith and we've talked about that both in this episode and in the first episode that like they just didn't have faith in the boulder police so they end up hiring their own private investigator to do so that's why also i have such a hard time with the family theory because why would you hire your own private investigator to go find your daughter's murderer if it's right there in your house but he felt very strongly that Gary was and could be the person who killed John Bonet. I mean, so many reasons for this. Like we mentioned, convicted pedophile was in the area, picture of John Bonet, but also, I guess, not long after the John Bonet case, um, they the police eventually interviewed a, a friend of Gary's named Michael Vale that said that not long after that, um, Oliva admitted to hurting a little girl on the phone while he was with him. There's also the fact that the knots that were used to choke John Bonet matched the knots that Gary had used to strangle his mother. 
this guy's a winner, guys. Yeah, this, like, this just feels super icky. Um, everything. And the last piece here, and this is really crazy. I know we just talked about with Burke this idea that maybe these weren't stun gun tracks. Perhaps these were the marks of a train. Well, lots of them. And I think you said, Carla, that like the coroner even said he believes that it was right. a stun gun. Gary Oliva had a stun gun on him when they arrested him. I mean, it just... There are so many pieces of this that don't feel circumstantial where, for me, a lot of things around the Ramsey family felt like we're just trying to find something that's wrong here. Ties knots that match the knots that were used to choke this girl. Had pictures of this girl was obsessed with him. Has hurt other little girls. We know he's a pedophile. He has a stun gun, like a winner, winner, chicken dinner, maybe. So like of the suspects we've discussed so far, I'm not comfortable saying I, I think any of them did it, but this is the one that I feel the least I need to defend the least. Michael and I will share pictures of what the house looked like in 1996 on our social medias. So one of the things that we saw is along the garage outside of the driveway in the back of the house, there's actually like a little alleyway. Yeah. We did find out on Christmas Day, the sun must have set around like 4.45 p.m. Of course, they went to dinner at 6 p.m. So it's very dark. So if you're thinking about an intruder in a unsecured home, again, not being suspicious, and then you have this like alleyway that runs up against your garage and your that back driveway and it's an open area. So there's all this opportunity. Yeah, it definitely lends itself that a drifter or somebody that's homeless who could be looking through the trash on the regular there in this neighborhood in that alleyway. So it's definitely something that I wasn't picturing as I'm thinking like this gated community. So we'll have to share the pictures so you guys can kind of see what that looked like. But I don't know, based on that, I definitely feel like there could have been somebody laying in wait. This is one of those people that when identified as a suspect, it feels like really good investigative work. And this, like you mentioned, was down to their private investigator that had really pointed his finger at this guy. I just, all I'll say is it it feels like the most credible and I will say person we've talked about so far. Just like the Ramses, he was cleared by DNA. It, it's so funny though. I will be so interested in what this looks like when, and hopefully when, they get to relook at the DNA because mm-hmm. now touch DNA is a thing. We have so many other ways of getting to look at DNA and they're trying to explore these ways of using public databases like Ancestry DNA or 23andMe, not just CODIS because CODIS, you had to be a convicted person for your DNA to be uploaded to this database where bigger databases, it's not. I just will be interested if that sheds more light on it in in the days to come because the we had imperfect ways of looking at DNA back then. There were so many ways that we possibly could have gotten it wrong. Well, we definitely had imperfect police working on this case. And I don't want to say like, okay, you've got to believe in one DNA with the Ramseys and that automatically puts them off. I think there's a few other things to me that puts them out, except for the fact that there is DNA. I feel like DNA can't necessarily blame you or connect you. This guy, Gary, he he doesn't continue to be a good human being in life. He continues to be a piece of shit. So that also... He tried to choke his own mother with yeah. a telephone cord. Yeah, he also has like child pornography. Even just recently his child pornography cases. So like he continues to be a sex offender. And that definitely lends to somebody with historical behavior. 
right, wrong, or otherwise, not saying that he's a murderer, but he's definitely continues to be a creep. Yep. Yes. I'm a creep. (laughs) Our next (laughs) intruder suspect is Michael Helgoth. This was an electrician who worked in a nearby auto salvage yard. And I guess the thing that tipped investigators off to this was that he was in some sort of property dispute that involved the Ramses. And they thought that might have been some potential revenge gone awry that he was seeking against them for how that ended up turning out. To me, that seems like a really disproportionate result. But I know that I've read in some other places this could have been something too where didn't realize it had gone that far, right? Like where maybe it wasn't intentional to kill her, tried to subdue her and all of a sudden little girl's dead sort of thing. What also makes... Michael really suspect to police is that not long after he was named a suspect, he committed suicide. The argument could be made that it seemed like he felt like people were closing in on him and rather than go to prison for the rest of his life, where even in prison with these other people that make crimes, you do crimes against children and you're you're going to have a bad life in prison. That's not something that's tolerated. So before you you dive into all of that. This Michael Helgoth guy is just like, nah, I'm going to do it myself. Deuces. I will say he was cleared by DNA, mm-hmm. at least the D- the imperfect DNA process, like we mentioned with, with Gary Oliva. He was cleared by that process. And we'll never know if he did it because he's dead. We'll never be able to get a confession from him because he's no longer with us. It will be interesting to see if there's any way that we can bump his DNA again up against what we have off of John Bonet's person using some of these new methods. I wonder if that'll come up with anything new. I don't know. To me, this one, just my personal opinion, it feels like a property dispute turned to murder just feels really disproportionate. Yeah, I agree. All right. Our next suspect is a former school teacher that used to go by the name John Mark Carr. He confessed out of the blue to the 1996 strangulation and murder of John Bonet and did it in really gruesome detail, including some of the sexual elements that investigators think might have gone along with this case. He was arrested in Thailand, where he lived after facing child pornography charges in the U.S., so another creeper. They track him down, bring him in. This was after he had reached out to a University of Colorado Boulder professor named Michael Tracy. Over some emails, he basically started conveying these graphic details, including his confession to this awful, awful crime. He was immediately flown back to Colorado for questioning. He ultimately didn't have his DNA match what was found on John Bonet's long john, so he was cleared by that DNA evidence. Interesting, though, they found some diary entries that had been written by Carr in one of the accounts. I don't even, this is going to be so gross to read, but I think it's important and is one of the reasons that Carr was considered originally, and I think for some investigators is still considered a possibly a viable suspect. The diary entry read, close your eyes, close your pretty eyes, sweetheart. Daxis loves you so much. Oh God, I love you, John Bonet, and my lover's eyes are closing slowly. So called himself Daxis, 
even if this was something that he didn't do related to the murder, that is just some of the creepiest shit I have ever heard in my entire life from a clearly very, very sick mind. Ultimately, when Carr's DNA didn't match, a lot of investigators just said that he was a fame-hungry pedophile, that this was someone that was looking for attention and that maybe had kind of gotten obsessed with John Bonet post-mortem and liked the idea of having been involved in that case, thought it'd be a cool way to grab some headlines. Um, I think you were mentioning Carla just had some weird activities even on the plane ride back, like almost acted like he was being treated like a celebrity. Yeah, drinking champagne and eating prawns and like jokingly, you know, laughing with the federal agents. I was just reading a little bit more. He goes on to continue assaulting people too. He assaults his father in 2007 and then like later is popped up in this like teenage sex ring which I don't know why it's called that I haven't done any investigation but let's just call it what it really is it's rape of teenagers yes it doesn't seem like whatever is happening with this person has ever gotten resolved whether or not he killed John Benet Ramsey I I could not say but a very disturbed individual that clearly wanted to be involved in this case and somehow it really just sickens as we go through the suspect that there could have been this many people around this very young girl this feels like obviously john mark carr is a criminal there is no denying that i do have weird doubts about whether or not he now she committed this crime it just feels as though this was a weird obsession with someone that became a media highlight. And so it, to me, this just this feels more indicative of someone that became obsessed with the persona of John Bonet, perhaps not someone that actually murdered John Bonet. Okay, we need to move on from John Mark Carr. The next possible suspect that we want to talk through is Linda Hoffman Pugh, who was a housekeeper of the Ramses. Some of this one feels really interesting to me. So what we know about Hoffman Pugh is, of course, knew the house really, really well. So it almost feels like this wouldn't even quite be the intruder theory. This is just someone that had ready access to the house that the Ramses would let in no problem. Had a key. Wouldn't even doubt. That's right. And this is important for this possible suspect. John Bonet would have trusted. Absolutely. Right? So wouldn't necessarily have known that if Linda was coming after her, that that's in fact what was happening, that this child probably would have trusted her to begin with. So while Linda doesn't meet the profile of who investigators were looking at, they were definitely thinking male, they were definitely thinking someone that was a little bit younger, there there were some other circumstances around Hoffman Pugh that were interesting. Apparently they were really, really struggling with money to the point where she had asked the Ramses for some money, which I'm just saying, if my housekeeper, we don't have one so now, awkward. but we have, had, we have had before, if my housekeeper like was asking me for a couple thousand dollars, I don't know that relationship, so maybe this is way out of line for me. But that alone strikes me as really weird. The theory behind it is that after the Ramses kind of politely declined or whatever that interaction looked at, that... Hoffman Pugh became really angry when she stumbled upon a check that showed the amount of John Ramsey's most recent bonus, which, as we know, was that $180,000 that we've referenced on multiple occasions, and basically kind of went into a fit of rage, 
lured down a unsuspecting John Bonet into the basement and did this as a little bit of a revenge sort of situation. Or again, this could have been something that it was meant to just subdue, went too far, turned into something bigger than it was ever supposed to be. Another interesting fact about Hoffman Pugh is that she was one of the adamantly told police to pursue the possibility of Patsy. That was really for this idea that Patsy might have accidentally killed Jean Bonnet. At one point, she even sat in front of a grand jury and told uh, the jury that she believed that Patsy might have even had multiple personalities, that she would witness Patsy sometimes be in a really great mood one minute and would be affable, easy to be around, and then all of a sudden would go dour, would get angry and really dark, and tried to use that as an argument against Patsy. And in hindsight, it was one of those instances where it felt like maybe she was too adamant about that. Maybe that was her trying to throw uh, the police off of her own scent in that setting. Of the intruders, this is the one that I least likely think did anything. Of course, she was questioned right away. I think it was like a day or so later. Yeah. She's somebody- Has already access to the house. Yeah, has access to the house, so she should be. She was cleared, as, as far as we know from everything, as far as like DNA and fingerprint and handprint analysis and all this. The other thing is, it's a 57-year-old woman. From her, her picture, she looks to be a little bit of a, a bigger woman. She's an older woman. I can't imagine even an 11,000-square-foot house, a 57-year-old woman- quietly pulling down a six-year-old kid, you know, murdering her. She's not going through the window, so she's going to go out the front door. That just feels like a lot of activity to me for someone, again, who's like not a criminal, doesn't seem to be in the best shape. I do think it's kind of weird that she asked her employer to borrow money or for a loan. But other than that, I, I don't see this. I do know they were cleared. Actually, both of them were cleared by DNA. I think what got people connected to them was not just the access to the house, but it's also when you're in someone's house that much, you become familiar with when they come and go. Yeah. So you get really familiar with their schedule. You understand when areas of opportunity would be, would have had insight even on this after this Christmas dinner. That's probably something that they would have told someone that is in their house perhaps multiple times a week. Like, hey, by the way, we're going out at this time. We'll be back later that evening. It, it makes it really convenient. I guess her alibi also wasn't very strong, was just at home alone with her husband, and they slept in different parts of the house. One was in the bed and one was on the couch. So there's no one that's able to directly account for whether or not she was actually asleep during those hours. So while some of it's interesting... For me, at the end of the day, it feels a little bit circumstantial. What I will say, and this I did not find in any investigative material. This is purely just Michael's opinion coming out. What I find interesting about this, if we follow this line of thought, that the 180000 was based on her being angry that the Ramses declined to give her some money, I can see this state of jealousy setting in. Like, here's this family that just has everything and here I am literally so desperate that I asked this family for money. Was there some sort of she wanted to be the Ramses? And did, did that lead in some sick, twisted way to her trying to subdue an unsuspecting John Bonet? Like, I, I almost wonder, was it meant to be more of an abduction but went wrong? Was this a woman that was trying to kind of overtake their lives? Because again, she was trying to paint um, Patsy in some really you know, bad ways. So it wasn't just the weird circumstances around John Bonet. It was also 
her really leaning into trying to defame Patsy at the end of the day. So some of that did feel a little suspect to me. So I, I don't know. This one just interesting. Ultimately, like you said, though, like this is a, a woman in her 50s, like really going to use a stun gun on a child, going to chase a child down the stairs. Some of it just feels a little, I don't know. Yeah, it just feels improbable. All right. The last suspect that was referenced in this Rolling Stone article was uh, Bill Reynolds, who was a town Santa, was a friend of the Ramses, is now deceased. This is not something where we're ever going to get a confession from Bill McReynolds at this point. Loved to entertain the neighborhood children and was at one of Patsy's famous Christmas gatherings. It, it did seem that he had quite the fascination with John Bonet. And I feel like that's where some of this interest in him as a suspect came up. And while it's creepy, you know, is it is it that creepy? I don't I don't know. So I guess some of the weird parts of this was that um, he had a vial of glitter that had been gifted to him by John Bonet and took that in with him to a heart surgery. That's a little creepy. You're taking the gift of someone else's six year old into surgery with you, and then get this, later told his wife that he wanted to make sure that he was buried with that same glitter. Yeah, I get it. It's definitely a little bit of like creep factor. And I think just kind of like we talked about like with Patsy, like we're suspicious. So it definitely makes us look with suspicious eyes. If you're looking at the situation from like an innocent, here's this older man, maybe he thinks of John Bonet, like maybe he reminds her of like a younger sister or a child or a granddaughter that like something about her brings that to him. And so like, that's where he felt like he had this special connection with her. Okay. And then especially because she died so tragically. So like, maybe that's part of it too. Like, oh, I'm going to bring this vial of glitter with me that she gave me because it's so special because of this bond that I had with this little six-year-old girl. I can see both sides of it. I, I definitely think there's always something creepy about the Santa, but I've also had the privilege of having some really special men in my life that ha- never had a creepy relationship with. I, I think it's one of those easy suspects that makes a really good news headline. Like to your point, that is such a great article, The Santa That Went Awry. If you look at it from a more innocent perspective, though, if you look through the lens of like, okay, what if he had the best of intentions? Maybe this was just a person that loved children. Maybe children made him feel good because you get to look at their world through this really innocent set of eyes when you're playing Santa, when they're telling you all their wishes and desires on your lap. Like I just, I I remember my... Children, nieces and nephews, that's what I call Nildren in the plural, um, <laughs> were younger. That was such a special age. There were few things as magical as the mind and heart of a child. So some of this really could have been completely innocent and just became sensationalized. Is it that weird, to your point, that someone that loved children and played Santa wasn't? I think it'd be more weird if they weren't touched and hurt by right. by a child that you knew fairly closely dying. Like, I maybe that just really impacted him. I guess we'll never know. We do know cleared through DNA, but we'll never get to dig in further as, as he's now deceased. There was also the Ramsey's longtime photographer, Randy Simons. Yeah, so if you guys remember in last episode, we talked about a podcast that Michael and I both listened to 
called The Killing of John Bonet, The Final Suspect. So good. Yeah, so it's a really good deep dive. It's done in partnership with her family and done in partnership with the original investigator that they had hired um, and then worked with for many years. He passed, but his daughter and some other investigators have picked it up. And so they're continuing to run through suspects. But Randy Simons, he was John Bonet's photographer. They questioned, like, could he have had something to do with her? There is a writer who wrote a book called Presumed Guilty in 1999 that really looks at the John Bonet case and looks at the beauty pageant circuit, both with Patsy and John Bonet. And so one of the things that they heard was that this personal and professional photographer named Randy Simons that Randy had been shooting her pictures for a few years. And really, for the most part, nobody thought that he had anything to do with John Bonet's murder. Yeah, it seems like people thought he was a creeper, but wouldn't have done this. Afterwards, he would call these pageants, like the pageant mothers, and say over and over again, I did not kill John Bonet, I did not kill J- John Bonet, almost like in a fit. And so that became very suspicious to this writer. So the Boulder police did actually talk to Simons and he was cleared by DNA, just like with everybody else. It wasn't a match. So I will say though, like he did have some suspicious behaviors afterwards. So in 1998, he's arrested for walking naked down a street. Okay. Yeah. But more than that, in 2019, he's arrested for downloading child pornography, which is where he's at today, still in a prison in Oregon for downloading child pornography. God, sometimes this, these cases just, I don't already don't have a lot of faith in humanity. Like we have talked about a lot of pedophiles in the last hour. (laughs) I know it's so gross. One of the things in this podcast that they talk about is that even though he is cleared from DNA, and let's just say that like any, but any of these pedophiles or perps or just gross people that continue to go on and do really bad things that while they have been cleared from DNA, you still don't know who they were involved with, especially this photographer, like who they could have been involved with around in 1996. And so the podcast really does pull some correlations to that. And there's some really good quotes and some really good investigations. We've just kind of highlighted some of the work that they have done and that have been talked about through the Boulder Police. But If you want a deep dive into that, please go check out that podcast. I will say too, I, there is a part of me that likes this theory that it might've been multiple perpetrators. Uh, First of all, the ransom note is in plural. It mentions we. And so that even kind of leans to this idea that it might've been a a multi-pronged effort here. I'm also thinking that if any of this was justified, not just by some weird pedophile attraction to Jean Benet, but also to try to get back at John Ramsey because of his success and some other things that might have happened in the company or just because being mad at him because he was wealthy and successful and had a beautiful wife and a beautiful family. Who knows? But it's it almost feels like it it could have been two or more people with different motives working together because they achieved a mutual aim, right? I I may get my money out of it and you can have your little girl, Mr. Pedophile, which I know is so gross to think about, but it opens up all of these additional possibilities that maybe aren't there when you're just considering one suspect, especially when you're doing that under the intruder theory. Yeah, I, here's my whole thing about the family. 
So, of course, I've said before, I definitely feel like it's an intruder. Right. My thing about the family is that they're not criminal masterminds. So they are not going to have been able to clear themselves of DNA, but also leave a third-party DNA. And it takes a lot of forethought. A lot of forethought. I, obviously, there's no proof. There's nothing that we know about their story, about their history, about their family that would lead you to believe that they purposely did anything. But let's go through the avenue that they accidentally did anything. Why would you go through that much trauma to your child's body? I just cannot get behind it. I, I can't believe it. So maybe it's my own bias as a parent that I couldn't imagine doing that. So I can't imagine somebody else doing that. That's probably not fair. But that's how I feel about it. All that to say, I truly believe that this is going to be solved in our lifetime. Um, So John Ramsey is still very much a very vocal advocate for his daughter and for justice for her. Um, I think I mentioned in the last episode, he was at CrimeCon in April. He was actively talking about there just in the last couple of weeks as we actually, Michael and I had agreed that we were going to do John Benet Ramsey, all of a sudden popped up news articles about that he was petitioning um, to go after the Boulder police and then he's talking to them about the fact that you need to be doing familial DNA, what's going on with the touch DNA and, you know, financing it or releasing it so that they can run and do different things. So his investigators, like they can pursue and it seems like they are, according to that podcast, that they're pursuing DNA and clearing people and they're paying for it. But some of the familial DNA and some of those things, they can't do that. Boulder police has to do that. So, which is a good thing, right? Like, so much of this comes into individual privacy and not just being able to compare DNA willy nilly just because you have a hunch about someone, right? That could potentially incriminate them for the rest of their lives. That doesn't make sense. But it, they're private investigators. So many investigators that are still connected to this really do believe that this is a matter of when not if yep that if it's not something that gets solved for today or this week or this month or this year that it's going to happen because our abilities um to get that touch dna and uh maybe pull some strings that weren't able to be pulled as part of the original investigation that it's going to lead them to an answer what i can say you know we try to bring the humanity out of this and really get into the humanity of it What I can say is if I can let go of the idea that the family did this, and in my personal opinion, that's all it is, I don't think that they did it, how awful this is for that family. And if I'm John Ramsey, I'm just sitting here hoping that before I die, like my wife has already had to die not seeing the murder of her daughter solved. Like at this point, I'm sure he just wants it to be solved before he passes into whatever's next after this world. And you know what? To the Ramsey family, if you ever listen to this, I hope exactly that for you too. I hope that such a heartbreaking thing that has just upended your lives and continues to upend your lives after so many years that it gets solved and that we get some justice for John Bonet. Absolutely. All right, bitches. We'll see you next week. You made it to the end of the podcast. And while we love to provide our unsolicited feedback on, well, just about everything, it's always important that we try to stay kind, stay curious, but of course, stay nosy. Bitches. Bitches.